Let's go to James 1. We'll be in James 2 next week, and we'll kind of close out this little bit of study on uh, the wisdom of God as uh, expressed in James. Um, I want to finish up kind of where we uh, were last week. I didn't get quite done. And so go with me, if you will, to um, uh, verse 19. I just, um, I'm sorry, go with me, if you will, to verse uh, 9. And I'm going to just finish. I'm looking at my last week outline and my this week outline. So there's just a couple of verses here that are really, really important. Uh, Steve, get tuned up. I'm going to start with this, and then I'll let you start in 19 in just a minute. Um, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind, with withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Now, in my notes for last week that I never got to, I wrote the question, because I read this, you know, now two weeks ago, dealing with it, and was studying it this time last week. And I began to think... Um, uh, there is some discussion here about uh, if you're struggling to make ends meet, it, it's talking to you in verse 9, and it, I think it's saying here, you can handle it, lean into it, um, look over, James would say, don't forget what I'm going to say in verse 4, draw near to God and he'll draw to you. God is no respecter of status where that's concerned. But then in verse 10 and 11, he launches into this talk about the person who has a lot. And the question that I wrote in my um, um, notes is here, uh, uh, how would you explain verse 10 and 11 of the first chapter of of James, how would you explain that um, to a Bill Gates or a Jeff Bezos? Well, I think I'd want to be a little more sensitive than that, Dan. I, I think. It's very direct. I, okay. Um, by the way, if you've read any of the or read any or seen any of the documentaries on the on the last days, the last months of Steve Jobs, it, it kind of that kind of comes up here too. It's an illustration of this. But come on, if if I were talking to a a, a rich guy like uh, Bill Reeves back there, okay. This probably isn't where I'd want to take you. Although if I did, or if Bill came to me and said, what is this saying to me? I'm going to be a little more sensitive, Dan, than saying, you're not going to make it out of here alive. Well, Steve Jobs said he was spending his last days in the most expensive hotel he could get into, and he could not find anybody to take his place. You know, hopefully online you heard some of that. That's true. Uh, you know, we've all heard the, uh, I've never seen, I've done uh, hundreds and hundreds of funerals, but I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse, you know. Okay, so we, we've all kind of heard that stuff. So the idea here is, I think though, be careful, be careful if you're a have not, like me, as you look on the haves, Okay, I think what's being said here in 9, 10, and 11 is the death rate is 100%. 100%. 
regardless if you got a bunch or you got nothing. Deal with it accordingly. And I think, you remember, James is having a deal, and I think the, in context here, James is having a deal with people who, because of status, societal status, some of them aren't getting along all that well. And so he's, he's trying to pull them together. So as you look at these, those three verses, be careful that you don't look at them from an us versus them perspective. Because it's speaking to all of us. Now, let's jump down to verse 19. Steve, would you mind to read, excuse me, 19 down through 21? My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted, which can save you. Verse 19 in my Bible begins with, this you know. If, if you're reading from the NIV, how does it begin? It, it, I think it's pretty good how it begins. My dear brothers, okay. But there's, isn't there a couple words in there that just say, take note? Take note. So mine kind of comes at it from, from kind of, it, the NIV addresses the group and then it says, uh, uh, take note. Okay, you know this. This you know. This is how, okay, in the context of what we were just talking about from, from verse 9, 10, 11, this is how we are to interact with one another and to the world. Okay, let me back up. Look at verse 19 again. This is how, this is amazing advice. This is how we're to relate to each other. This is how we're to talk to one another. Those of us inside and for those who are outside the church, this is how we're to relate to them as well, okay? This, this wonderful teaching here, in a world gone mad, normal is not what you read in James 1.19. Am I right? Okay, it's just the reverse. So what James says and if you'll think about it from the reverse, I think it'll make even more sense. This you know, my beloved brothers, that but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Don't we reverse the adverbs here, if, I'm, if I get my part of speech correct? Don't we have a tendency, our human tendency, is to be quick to be angry, quick to speak, Slow to listen. Slow to listen. Can I say something to you? Okay, I work with 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds. And I work with some that aren't like you. Many of you. Who's the youngest cat over here? Uh, not you. How old is he? 30. Okay, so we, we got some 30-year-olds in here. What's interesting is I think this admonition is not age-specific. 
In fact, I uh, launched into a diatribe with Rhonda on, on Friday night. Just some th- frustrating things. Well, this. Well, what about this? It, it wasn't, I wasn't frustrated with her. I'm just frustrated with my crazy life right now. And I realized that as a 64, almost 65-year-old, I, I, I need to hear James 1.19 too. I need to deal with it. 30-year-olds need to hear it. 20-year-olds need to hear it and need to apply it. My tendency is to speak first and think later. My tendency is to speak first and then maybe listen. Silence and listen have the same four letters in it. There you go. Silence and listen. Silent and listen. But the issue is, I really don't need to wade into your issue until I first heard you. And I've got to put a governor on my mouth in order to do that in this world that's gone mad. So there are three, what I've just put on your outline, there are three very straightforward commands here. It's not hard to really understand verse 19, is it? I don't think. So look at verse 20. Is James calling us to passivity? So I put here, I think he is not calling us for passivity. He's not calling for passivity here. He's calling for civility at least. Uh, My understanding is that in some states, it may be in all 50 states, that now in the driver's manual, so if you were to to, um, uh, begin driver's ed, they're going to give you the Oklahoma State driving manual uh, handbook. Um, (laughs) uh, When I was 17 years old, I was working for a guy by the name of Bob Anderson, and um, I walked into work one day. He handed me one of those books, and he and, and, and ten bucks or whatever it cost, and he handed me that and said, "I need you to go down to the DOT and take the uh, uh, take the test for uh, to be able to drive my truck." It, 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 I already had a license; I needed a, a, a commercial chauffeur's license, and uh, um, so I lit- I'm literally uh, I, I, that was about a five minute study, Wayne. Yep. What did I say, DOC? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a different issue. Went down to the Department of Transportation, sat there reading the book quickly, and took the test. I don't know how I passed it. They tell me, though, in that book now for your regular driver's license, that there's a whole section in it in some states on road rage. How far have we gone? How mad has our world become that we've got to train 16-year-olds about not cutting one another off in traffic and not pulling a gun off if somebody does? Our tendency is to lash out. Remember, in, uh, in this discussion, we're going to talk about there's a difference between a wise reaction and a foolish reaction, and that's a foolish reaction. The tendency is to lash out, and the right kind of reaction is needed, one of civility, not just passivity. So James is going to say here, um, uh, after telling us about uh, being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, he's going to say, the anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. Recognize that 
the wise response is what serves you and God really well. And then in verse 21, he's going to deal here with, uh, to me, uh, 121 is just a rich verse. If you're going to do what James is asking us to do, beginning here in verse 19, if we're going to do what he's asking us to do in this whole book, live wisely. Maybe verse 21 is where it begins. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. This couldn't be more rich. The bad, I, I need to get rid of all moral filth. Filth. That's a pretty wide net that's thrown there. And I ask the question, what am I tolerating? Go with me for a minute to uh, Matthew 12. I, I began to think about this. And I saw it referenced. And I thought, yeah, that's really well put. Matthew 12. I'm going to read um, beginning. This is a Jesus teaching here. I'm going to begin to read in verse 43. Now, Jesus is talking about getting rid of filth in your life. And in particular, he's going to talk about um, uh, those who have demonic activity in their lives and they clean themselves up with it. Or in his case, Jesus throws them out, the demons. Okay, listen to verse, I'm at uh, Matthew 12, 43. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man... It passes through waterless places seeking rest and doesn't find it. Listen to what ensues. Then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. It's talking about a person's life. Then I'll return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds it unoccupied and swept and put in order. Have you ever cleaned a house to sell it? That's what we're talking about here. You know, you just clean it to the corners because when, when the realtor brings somebody in, you don't want them to see cobwebs somewhere, right? So you clean it. It's all in order, ready to go, ready for somebody to move into. And what has happened is the demon's been cast out. The filth has been cast out. But there's nothing that's been put in in its place. Look at verse 45. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That's why it will also, that's, this is the way it will also be with this evil generation. Do you catch Jesus' message here? There is, there, there is uh, two phases to getting my life on track. I got to throw away the filth. But that's not quite enough. I get to begin to fill my life with good things. Guys, I know that Dave McBride's philosophy fits this right here. You've made a lot of decisions to throw away some pretty bad stuff in your life. And the reason David and this David keep you busy every night of the week is what we were just now talking about. I'm throwing away the old, but I got to fill my life with some good things if I'm going to stay straight. I got to fill my life with some good things if I'm going to live wisely. 
So you might put that Matthew 12, it's not even on your outline, Matthew 12, 43 to 45. It's, uh, by the way, I, I often, when I was doing youth ministry, I would use that passage on Halloween. I just thought that was kind of a spooky verse to talk about. And, um, but isn't it true? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Catch both sides of this. The old has gone, the new has come. The new is as important as the old. So the idea here is beginning the cure involves getting rid of the bad. And in James's word here, humbly allowing God to replace it with good things. Be humbly filled with something better. All right, let, let's go to the next section. This is a, a really uh, kind of pethy and important uh, part of, of the book of James. It's going to kind of set the pattern for the rest of this study. Steve, can I come back to you and have you read verse 22 down through 25? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting that he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Okay. Uh, in, in just a minute, um, I'm going to get us to... the. By the time we get down to verse 25, I need some help here. Somebody, if you would, go to Exodus 20, verse 2. Somebody read that out loud in just a little bit. Thank you, Teresa. And then um, uh, then I need another one, Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. I, I, we need those. To, Dan, if you wouldn't mind to find that. It'll be a little bit before we get there, but I want us to have that queued up when it's time. Now, here's the deal. He begins here with... Talking about there's, I believe there's at least two kinds of hearing found in the Bible. There's the kind of hearing that James is advocating here that begins with hearing that leads to understanding and then obedience follows. Okay, hearing that leads to understanding and then obedience follows. Maybe you've been, you've heard Marty or one of the other preachers preach, or you've heard uh, Pastor Paul teach in here, and you've said, you know what, he's right. That, that's understanding. Ooh, I've never seen that before. And then you say, okay, I've got to deal with that. I've got, I've, got to, I've got to make that a part of my life. That's the obedience part, right? That's one kind of hearing, and that's the kind that James is advocating here, beginning in verse 22. There is another kind of hearing that's that talked about in the Bible. Maybe you'll understand this. Maybe you'll uh, resonate with it. It's where you hear something coming in your left ear, it gains speed going through your head and goes immediately out your right ear. I'm, I'm being cynical, all right? Isn't it true? I think we talked about this before, maybe you have said to one of your kids. Didn't we talk about this? The fact that we talked about it isn't really the issue. It's the fact that there was some auditory things going on is not the issue. It's, it went in one ear and out the other. You've used that expression. 
That is not the biblical explanation or the biblical understanding of hearing. And that's what James is dealing with in this section here. Now, the description that I just gave you, okay, James says, is self-deception. Self-deception. And he uses an illustration that is kind of funny, um, um, I, I think. Um, help me with it a little bit here. If James says this is deceiving yourself, and then he's going to, in verse 23 and 24, give us an illustration, uh, a ridiculous illustration. What's the illustration? Okay, I step in front of the mirror. My hair is sticking up a hundred different ways. By the way, it still occasionally does that. I need a haircut, but it's only right before I need a haircut, which is like today. I, I, I was in a store yesterday, and a person, obviously a very sharp person, you know, just the whole back of their hair was mashed. You know what that deal is? I'm thinking, okay, they saw the front, but didn't look at the back. But that's not even what this is talking about. This is talking about the people of Walmart. You know that thing? Don't look that up, by the way. <laughs> Have you ever seen somebody and thought, do they even own a mirror? And the answer is, yes, they do, but they ignore it. This is not Arthur Fonzarelli. You remember Fonzie? Fonzie would walk in the men's room at Arnold's Diner. He'd pull out his comb. He'd look and say, Hey, in other words, everything was perfect, and he walked back out. That's not this picture. This is the picture of me with something on my face, with broccoli in my teeth. Clear to everybody around me. I look in the mirror, and I see it, and I go, hey, and walk right back out. I'm not going to fix it. We laugh at that because it's ludicrous. This is in the Bible. Uh, the idea here is, I think, I own a mirror, but it just doesn't matter. I'm not willing to fix what I see. And James is going to call that self-deception. Now, Let's get to those. This is interesting to me because um, uh, verse 25 here uh, to me is true from all the way back in the Old Testament. It is true then, it's true now. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. When I look at this book, it gives me freedom and, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. That man will be blessed in what he does. So um, let, let's... Exodus, this is right before, the verse before the Ten Commandments. Listen to what God says. Exodus 20, verse 2. That's you, Teresa. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I brought you out of bondage, he says. Now, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt. I brought you out of slavery. You don't want to go back there. So live like this. So Moses later on is going to talk about a kind of a principle of this. Let's go to Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments. 
his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. You're reading King James. I like the these and thous in there, man. Do you catch the point, though? Do what I've asked you to do. Why? It's good for you. Do what I've asked you to do because it'll go well for you. It literally, it's kind of the idea of this is the blessed life or the blessed life. I want to bless you, but I can't, I can't work with this if you won't work with me. On your outline, I said, you know, the, the truth is, I know that a diet that's high on burgers and ice cream is going to result in high blood pressure and high blood sugar. But what do I do? You know, I, you know, my middle name is Sonic. Okay. Well, yeah. Now, Ralph would have, Ralph did love it. You're right. I know what to do, but do I always do it? And God says, if you'll just work with me here. What I'm trying to do is not to minimize your life. I'm trying to give you the best way to live, actually the life of freedom. If Harry was here today, I would ask him about the, uh, the railroad museum. And I know they've got some trains that actually run on tracks over there. And I realize that if you took a train off a track, it doesn't run very well. That the train running on the track is actually the way of, of power, the way of freedom. Why do I think that this book doesn't function like the train track in my life? Lord, keep me on track. Okay, let's see if we can finish this. Steve, 26 and 27. If anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James is going to stick with me here because I'm going to say something that may be a little shocking, but uh, James is here going to talk about our relationship with the most vulnerable people groups in his day that are still probably the most vulnerable people groups in our day. That's the Old Testament world. Um, and he's going to talk about widows and orphans. He's not talking about only those, but they're representative of those who are most at risk in, in his society, and they are still in our society. Those are not the only ones that we're supposed to be concerned about. <coughs> But there are those. How would James know about widows? His mom was one. Okay? From tradition, we believe Joseph died when the kids were little. Jesus may have been. But we know that Jesus was 12 or 13 at least because Joseph was there on that trip to the temple. You remember that in Luke 2? But maybe not long after that, Joseph's off the scene. All these other kids. James grew up in the home of a single mom. So these are, uh, um, it's interesting here that he's calling for you and me um, 
to not just be, and here's the word, religious. Uh, the word uh, in, it's only used two other times in uh, the New Testament. And in Colossians 2.18, the word is worship. So if I want to be a worshipful person, so the idea is the worship that you and I express can either be, according to James 1.26, can be true or it can be worthless. And the barometer of it, follow me here, if I make sure I get this right, the barometer of whether or not I get it is in what I say, okay? And put in parentheses, what I say includes what I speak, what I write, what I post, what I tweet. Am I catching 126? That what I say gives an indication of what's in my heart. What I say is the number one barometer. As much as what I do in other ways, the number one barometer of whether or not I am a worshiping person. An old Church of God preacher by the name of E.E. E. Wolfram, I heard this 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, and still remember it. It's not how high you jump. It's how straight you walk when you land. And he was talking about ecstatic worship, which I love. I gave my life to the study of it and the leadership of it so much of my life. But that worship has got to tie into what I say and how I live. And so in verse 27, he begins to kind of give this thought about pure worship. Pure worship and the barometer thereof. And he says, don't be polluted in the second section of it. Don't be polluted by this world. Are you really open to what God has to say to you? Um, somebody take us over to 1 John 3.18. I put that reference here. Cindy, would you get that one, 1 John 3.18? Are you really open to what God has to say to you? Now, the essence of the book of James is this understanding, I think, of pure worship. Not being polluted by this world, but living wisely, not foolishly, in an age where we've got to have more of this. Cindy, did you find it? Here's what God may be saying. Am I open to what he's saying to me? 1 John 3, 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. Say it. Rightly, but don't just say it, live it. Um, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah is grieving the loss of a great leader in his country, King Uzziah. He was a friend. Isaiah was a courtier. And he begins 
the first eight verses or so of Isaiah with this image of he has a vision and he sees what's going on in heaven and he sees worship going on in heaven. In the year that uh, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And, and he begins to kind of process through what's going on in this worship in heaven. Um, the angels around the throne and at some point, he looks at that scene and says, I am undone. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Does that sound like my world? And by the way, God's remedy for that in Isaiah's life, in this image, is an angel takes hot coals in tongs off of the altar of God and touches Isaiah's lips and cleanses them. But listen to what Isaiah says as a result of it. By the way, the angel says, you know what? You've been cleaned up, pal. <laughs> You're clean now. And, and I listen, if I really dial into Isaiah 6, I dial into what Isaiah is going to say in response. I've never really felt clean in my life. And he has cleaned me up. By the way, some believe, some commentators believe that Isaiah may have, a, may have had a problem with profanity and other things. And he's cleaned up. And I begin to lean in. What's he going to say now? His next words, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am. I'm over here, pal. I'm signing up. Send me. God has asked the question throughout heaven, throughout heaven, who will I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah raises his hand. I'm volunteering. Maybe, maybe he felt like for the first time in his life, he was qualified. I don't know. I just know he signed up. Have you lately said, like I have, I even said it about somebody we were praying for a while ago during our prayer time. Have you lately said, my hands are really full? They should be. They, they should be. In fact, you remember back to the Halloween passage that we read from Matthew 12? If you ain't got nothing going on in your, in your life, and by the way, that's really good English. If there's nothing really going, if your hands aren't full, I shudder to think what the devil might fill them with. So keep your hands full. You should have them full of service to others. That's the real result of a life of worship, action all the time. You know, sometimes I'll read things, sometimes I teach things that talk about, you know, as Christians, we ought to model a life of balance and ought to keep it all under in perspective and, you know, don't burn yourself out. Unfortunately, I don't read a lot of that in the New Testament. 
Paul was the most out-of-balance guy I believe I've ever read about. He was singularly focused on doing what God had wanted him to do. He wore himself out. So if I got to choose, maybe God's saying, pal, I have given your hands full. Get after it. Love people. Care for people. Serve people. Give till you can't give anymore. Well, that's my perspective on it. We will launch into James 2 next week. And I hope to see you here. Thanks for joining us.